Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I saw a video this past week where they were interviewing J.D. Greer. He's the guy doing the speaking in the video. Uh, he's the president of the Southern Matters Convention, uh, has been for this past year. And they were interviewing him, and he said there's been about 20,000 uh, Southern Baptist churches uh, do what we're doing and join in with this emphasis. So uh, we need to pray for that. We need to pray there's great fruit from that, that people will uh, buy in to identifying their one and uh, trying to win them to Christ before the year's over with. Uh, before I get into the message, I want to thank John uh, Marler for filling in for me uh, last week and uh, bringing the message. We had to, uh, yeah, we, uh, we had to be gone for a little non-important thing like my son getting married and, uh, and everything. So uh, the kind of rain that was coming through here was coming through up there and they were in a barn venue and uh, the water kept running in on the concrete floor and we kept sweeping and uh, trying to clear it out and everything. Uh, luckily it quit raining, you know, right about the time the, uh, uh, the, the ceremony started and they were able to go outside and stand in the mud and get a few pictures made. I tried to get them just to embrace some mud and do mud wrestling or something, uh, you know, at the farm that we were at after it was over with. But uh, uh, I appreciate you uh, uh, letting us be gone for that, and just pray for he and Sierra as they begin their lives together. Uh, today being Father's Day, uh, I want this uh, message to kind of especially be a challenge uh, for the dads, but not just for the fathers, but for all of us. Uh, the title of the message today, as we keep going in this uh, series, Who's Your One, uh, is this, it's a purposeful life. Now, I'll say more about that in a second, but before that, I want to ask you to do something to help me out. That orange card that we put in the bulletin every week that's called the Connection Card, we have one more message in this series that will be next Sunday. On the other side of this series, I felt led to do something entitled Hot Topics, not because it's hot weather, but I just felt God impressing upon my heart for us to deal with some hot topics when it comes to our culture uh, in in America that we live in. Uh, So what I would like for you to do is write down something that you think of as a hot topic in our culture and write it down on the orange card and then put that in the pedestals before you leave. And I will read over those and get some more ideas uh, to help you maybe hone in on what you write. Uh, There's going to be two topics I already know that I'm going to deal with that I think are hot topics in our culture. One is abortion, because I think not too many people have a biblical understanding of uh, what the Bible has to say. And the second is going to be homosexuality, because I think people uh, in this day and time need a biblical premise for what the Bible has to say there. Uh, Now, I'm not going really beyond that. So you've got a pretty much open slate. If you want to uh, jot down some things that you think of as a hot topic, that uh, maybe we need to deal with uh, during this hot weather, during the summer, as uh, we move forward with this, uh, with this new series once it starts. And that'll help me out for you to let me know what you think uh, is, uh, is a hot topic uh, in our culture that maybe people misunderstand or don't have a good biblical basis uh, upon. Back to today. Uh, it's a purposeful life. So I want to especially ask our men this morning, uh, do you live a life of purpose? Now, some of you may push back really quick 
And you might say, well, sure, I live a life of purpose because I've got this job that, uh, that I work and I spend time in and, and that's a purpose. Or some of you may pitch back and say, well, I live a life of purpose because I've, I've got my family. Uh, or someone may say, well, sure, I, I live a life of purpose because I, I enjoy this hobby or doing this thing or whatever it is. And, and you think you're living a purposeful life. That's not the context I want you to answer the question in, in your own mind right now. I want to, you to ask yourself, especially the men, but ladies, just because it's Father's Day, don't turn your ears off, you know, or, or any children here, any youth here uh, either. I want you to ask yourself if you're living a life of purpose when it comes to God's purposes. Are you living a life of purpose when it comes to the things that God says are important? We're going to be in John chapter 1, in verse 35 through 43. We're going to talk about a guy predominantly today in the message by the name of Andrew, and I'll read about him in a moment. Uh, You don't hear a lot uh, about Andrew in in the Bible. There's just a a few times uh, that he pops up. He was Simon Peter's brother, uh, and he's kind of known, I think, of living a purposeful life, especially when it came to bringing somebody to Jesus. So stand with me in honor of God's word, and let's read these verses together, and then we'll move forward. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day, again, John, and that's John the Baptist in, in this instance. John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Kind of strange to me he didn't say, who are you seeking, but what are you seeking? We'll talk about that in a moment. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Notice what he does. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, thank you, you can be seated. <clears throat> Some of you may have heard of the inner circle of the disciples before. Uh, a lot of theologians only include three there, but a lot of other theologians include Andrew to be part of that group. We just don't hear as much about Andrew in the New Testament as we hear of the other three. In that inner circle was Peter, James, John, and, and then Andrew. Andrew's kind of in the background type of guy. You don't hear a lot about him. He's more inconspicuous than the rest of these disciples that are in the inner three. The scriptures only refer to him nine times. And yet most of those references just kind of mention him in passing. Andrew lived his life in the shadow of his brother. Because his brother was Simon Peter. So he's kind of lost in the shadow of his brother. Our scripture even uses this. Think about it. 
Our scripture even uses the fact that he's Simon Peter's brother to give us a reference as to who Andrew is, you know? It's like Andrew doesn't have his own identity. Oh, he's Simon Peter's brother. That's the way my wife feels a lot of times. Well, that's the pastor's wife, you know, and things like that. Some of you may have felt like that. Your identity is tied to, you know, your spouse in some way or whatever and, uh, and, and all. Uh, my identity is tied to the fact that Becky says she has four kids, and I think she includes me in that count. Uh, in, in with it. But uh, anyway, um, we've got this picture of, of, of Andrew. And in this story, it says that he goes after one. He, he goes after Peter, his brother. Now, while we've got a picture of Andrew going after one, Peter's going to reach thousands of people through the ministry that God gives him. But we see Andrew going after this one. You see, he's standing there. He hears this news. That's the Lamb of God. And then he goes and he hangs out with Jesus that day. And the news that he has, that he's heard and that he's experienced, is too good to keep to himself. So the first thing that he does, he goes and finds his brother, Simon, his brother Simon Peter. And he tells him, hey, we found the Messiah. But he does more than just tell him. He brings him to Jesus. So we've got a picture of him reaching his one in this passage of scripture. Some Bible scholars refer to Andrew being the inviter. Because many times in the scriptures you see him doing that. Some call him the bringer because he did more than just invite. He actually brought Peter with him. Some refer to him as introducer because he would introduce people to Jesus. And guys, the truth of the matter is this. God expects the same from all of us. He wants you to be someone that introduces others to Jesus. He wants you to be someone that invites others to Jesus. He wants you to be someone who brings others to Jesus. So we're going to focus upon that from the life of Andrew this morning and ask ourselves, are we really living a purposeful life? And to really understand that, we also need to ask ourselves, what do we really value in life? I mean, for us to understand if we're living a purposeful life, what do we really value in life? So first point, if you're taking notes today, is this. We must understand the value, and I'm going to throw three things at you, and we'll break it down. We must understand the value of knowing who Jesus is. We must understand the value of trusting what Jesus has done. And we must understand the value of following Jesus. And you'll see all three of those things take place in those first few verses that I read a moment ago. Just to walk you back through what it said, John the Baptist was standing there with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said to them, Behold the Lamb of God. These two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus saw them following him and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, where are you staying? And then Jesus said to them, come and see. And they did that. And they went to where he was staying. They stayed with him that day. I want you to think about these three things. First of all, the value of knowing who Jesus is. John the Baptist was standing there and had two of his disciples with him. And he said, behold, I want you to look over here. Behold, that's the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, if you remember anything about the historical connection between Jesus and John the Baptist, Mary, the virgin that was the mother of Jesus, 
Mary was a cousin to the mother of John the Baptist. We're even told in the Bible that when Mary went to tell Elizabeth about what the angel had told Mary about her bearing the Son of God, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist left in the womb of Elizabeth, you know? So I think probably even after John was born, at least I would do this, and probably most of you ladies would do this, if you had a first cousin come, and you're expecting a baby, and she's expecting a baby, and she's been told by an angel that that baby's going to be the Son of God, I'm just assuming you'd tell your child after John the Baptist was born a little bit about that, wouldn't you? Huh? So I believe he had probably been told by his mom, but I also believe this. I think he had a Holy Spirit conviction as to who Jesus was. And he points out who Jesus is, and he uses that phrase, behold the Lamb of God. See, the the Lamb of God is a special title that helps us understand who Jesus is and also some things about what Jesus has done. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The the Bible said he looked at Jesus, and there's a word used there that literally means to fix your eyes on Jesus. He was intently looking at Jesus. He wanted his disciples who were standing there not to miss the fact that Jesus was walking by. And he's going to tell them this. He's going to tell them, behold, the Lamb of God. And the word that he uses for behold doesn't mean just look over there and glance. It means to look and know something. He's telling them, I want you to see this. I want you to see this man that's walking by, and I want you to know something. Behold, this person is the Lamb of God. The Bible has a lot to say about the Lamb of God. All the way back in Genesis, we're not told that they were lambs, but hey, there's a pattern that follows it. But in Genesis, when Adam and Eve had sinned and they're trying to cover their own nakedness by their own works, by sewing fig leaves together, God shows them that we can't take care of our own sinfulness. We can't cover it ourselves. And he kills animals, and he takes the animal skins, and he covers them, which was teaching to them sin brings death. From then on, you see over and over again, there there are lambs and other sacrificial animals that are killed in the Bible. Every one of those sacrifices are a type or a picture of Jesus Christ who's going to come and be the ultimate once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Most of you have heard me say this before. During the first Passover, if you read that account in Exodus, it talks about in that first Passover... They killed the lamb, singular, the lamb of God. There were all kinds of lambs killed that night in Egypt. Why in the world would the Bible say they killed the lamb of God? Because all those lambs were a type and a picture of Jesus who would come. And Jesus would fully pay the penalty for our sins. Here's how Hebrew puts it. But when Christ had offered for, what does it say? Help me out. For all time. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, that's what, here's what that is saying, guys. It's saying Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one that was typified and pictured in all those other sacrifices, Jesus comes as the Lamb of God. He offers himself 
as a once and forever sacrifice. Not to be repeated like the Old Testament sacrifices. Not to be repeated like on the Day of Atonement where they would pour the blood out on the mercy seat. And then it had to be done the next year and the next year and the next year on the Day of Atonement. Not a constant work going on of the priest standing there at the altar in a constant sacrifice and a burning of smoke going up. That's not what Jesus did. All that was just a picture of what he would do. Jesus came in once and for all, forever, paid the full penalty for our sins so that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. He has fully, forever paid the penalty for our sin. And he sat down to emphasize that. The Bible says he sat down. Why would Jesus do that? Why did he sit down at the right hand of God? Here's why. There's nothing else at all to ever be done in order to pay for the sins of mankind. Because Jesus once and for all did it. And he sat down with his work finished by going to the cross and paying for our sins. Jesus is the Lamb of God. We have pictures of that all through the Old Testament. But then when we get to Isaiah, Isaiah lets us know that it's a person, not just an animal. All those lambs that are typified, that have been referred to, been pointed to in prophecy. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 7. Surely he, he, not it, he, surely he, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was the one that was oppressed for us in our place. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep that before the shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. All through the Old Testament, Pictures and types of Jesus, the Lamb of God that would come. And Isaiah tells us it's a person. Now, John the Baptist points over here, and John the Baptist says, that's him. That's who he is. He's the Lamb of God. Not only do we need to focus upon who Jesus is and value who Jesus is, we need to also value what Jesus has done. We need to trust in what Jesus has done, the value of trusting what Jesus has done. Earlier, before the passage that's our scripture text today, in verse 29, John the Baptist had already pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God. But he also said something else in that instance. That takes away the sin of the world. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. That's who he is. But here's what he does. And here's what we need to trust in. He's the one that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus went to the cross to make the full 
final forever payment for sin that we saw in Hebrews a moment ago. But as we saw in Isaiah a minute ago, Jesus carried our griefs, our sorrows to the cross. Jesus was stricken and smitten by God the Father for us in our place. Jesus was afflicted for us because of our sin. Jesus was wounded for our sins. Jesus was crushed for our sins. Jesus had the chastisement that should have been ours placed upon him. It is only through Jesus taking our sin upon himself that you and I can have peace with God and inner peace in our lives and have healing from the spiritual issue that we have because of sin. God placed upon Jesus the sin of us all. And today you ought to be thankful for that. Whether it's Father's Day, whatever day it is, guys, you ought to be thankful that he did that for us. That's what Jesus did for you. But can I ask you a question? Have you trusted in him? Do you know for sure that Christ is your Savior? Do you know without any doubt you've trusted in him? Third thing I want you to understand the value of is this. We need to understand the value of knowing who Jesus is. Don't minimize any of this, guys. That's one of the most important things that you can know. We need to understand the value of trusting what Jesus has done for us because that's our only hope. That's the only way we can be forgiven. That's the only way you and I can have everlasting life. We can't be good enough. We are not good enough. We can't work our way to heaven. None of that is possible. It's only solely connected to Jesus and what he's done for us. But thirdly, we need to understand the value of following Jesus. You don't distrust him. And say, you know what, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I, I'll, I'll just live however I want to now in my life. We need to place a high value upon following Jesus. And we kind of have a picture, an implication of that in this story. Because those two disciples that heard John the Baptist say, that's the Lamb of God. They decided to follow Jesus. And as we read a moment ago, Jesus turned and saw them follow. And he said, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi. Where are you staying? He said, come and you'll see. So they, they came and they saw where he was staying. And then they stayed with him that day. After John announced Jesus as the Lamb of God, these two disciples decided, you know what? We've been following John, but I think maybe we'll follow this person. Because John the Baptist pointed over there and said, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one that came to take away the sin of the world. And they start following after Jesus. He turns around and he looks at them. And, and I told you a minute ago, notice the way he put it. What are you seeking? He didn't say, who are you seeking? Maybe that implies that maybe Jesus is challenging them what their intent was. Well, what's your motive? Or are you only following me now because you heard John the Baptist say that and you think maybe you can get something out of it? Is that the only motive you have in following me because you think you can get something out of it? I've met people before over the years I've been in the ministry that I think the only reason they act like they're following Jesus is that they hope they can get something out of it in some way. And I'm not talking about their salvation. I'm not talking about reward in heaven. I'm talking about somehow maybe in this life they're thinking, well, they can get some status or, you know, earn something or whatever just by following Jesus. So he looks at them and says, what are you seeking? Not who are you seeking? And then they give a response that I love the response. The response is, where are you staying? And I think maybe the implication of that is this. We want to be with you. We want to be where you are. 
We, we want to be involved with you. Guys, since it is Father's Day, let me give a special challenge that we as men would want to be where Jesus is. I'm not talking about with him in heaven. That'll happen one day if you know Christ as your Savior. I'm not talking about you being with him right now at the right hand of the Father. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about in this world, Jesus is at work. And we ought to have the desire to be where Jesus is, where Jesus is working, where Jesus is impacting lives. Our men's, our men's ministry over the last couple of years has got a lot more active. And we have opportunities because of storms and things like that happening to reach into people's lives, to try and uh, repair things at their homes, try and get all the trees out of their yards, you know, that is blown down. And, and we've had a massive opportunity to try and work with people. Our, our women have had similar opportunities to do things. And sometimes they've come and helped the men in what they're doing. So, so guys... There, here's a picture of Jesus working in our men's group. So my challenge maybe to some of you that have never been part of our men's group is that you need to recognize just maybe Jesus is doing something through our men's group. Or you ladies, just maybe Jesus is doing something through our women's group. And maybe you need to get involved with what Jesus is doing, where he is doing it at. We ought to have a desire to be with Jesus, to stay with Jesus, to hang out with Jesus. That's more or less what they were saying. Where are you staying? I want to go hang out with you. And while we cannot physically do it, we sure can do it to a great degree as we read our Bible and ask the Lord to speak to us, as we pray and we try and stay with Jesus and we try and hang out with him. We need to be having the value placed upon staying with Jesus, being with Jesus, being connected with Jesus in any way that we possibly can be. Some of you are... Maybe thinking this, you may be thinking that, you know what, uh, following Jesus as we're on men's day, following Jesus and talking about Jesus or trying to tell somebody else about Jesus, we live in a culture that maybe has convinced you, maybe even within the church, that that's not a manly thing to do. You know, the, the ladies can be all about Jesus, but it's not a manly thing for us to do. That's a lot of confusion within the church. We live in a culture that has a lot of confusion. We live in a culture that wants to be, be gender neutral. We live in a culture that's almost like the, the, the world wants us to apologize because we're men. I didn't choose to be a man. You ladies didn't choose to be women. That's just in God's plan. You don't ever need to apologize for being a woman. And men, none of you need to apologize for being a man. You ought to act like a man and be a man. But I want to tell you something. Being a man also includes serving Jesus. There's never been a greater, more of a man on the face of this planet than Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus would cry, and Jesus would practice humility. And yes, Jesus faced the cross for us. He faced much more than you and I would ever face. I would submit to you there's never been more of a man on this planet than Jesus Christ himself. And you and I need to buy into that as men, guys, that it's perfectly manly to serve Jesus. It's perfectly manly to be involved in the things of God. It's perfectly manly for us to talk about Jesus and share our faith and share our testimony and share our witness with other men and try and win them to Jesus. It's a perfectly manly thing to do. Can I use Andrew's name to prove that for a moment? His name means 
manly. Manly. He and his brother Peter were fishermen. That's kind of like a, a, a man's man kind of you know job, isn't it? You know, we don't have that in our area or anything, but if I were talking to somebody I'd never met before and I said, what do you do for a living? And they said, fish, I think I'd high-five them. That's kind of a, kind of a manly type of, type of job. Second main thing I want you to get this morning is this. Not only do we need to see the value in knowing who Jesus is and trusting in what Jesus has done in following Jesus, we need to see the value in all three of those things. We also need to see this value, and this is where we hone in on Andrew a little bit more. We need to see the value of individual people. The value of individual people. Verse 40 through 43. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first, he first, he first found his own brother Simon. Let me stop for a minute. I'll keep reading in just a moment. Let me stop for a minute. Some of you may have been vacillating back and forth trying to decide, well, who in the world could be your one? Who do you need to write down as your one? Can I suggest something to you? If you've got a family member that's lost, why not start there? Amen? Huh? Why not start right at home? Why not start with the people closest to you? That's what Andrew did. Andrew had heard good news and he loved his brother and he wanted his brother to come to Christ and he went and told him we found the Messiah and he brings him, he brings him to see Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus and then Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, the son of John, you should be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is a part of the message, but I want to throw it in just for a minute. You meet Jesus, he changes some things about you. He changed the name of Peter. He changed the identity of Peter. Changed his name to Cephas on that day. Peter's going to be a little movable rock. Jesus is the foundation stone. And Peter's this little movable rock. He'd all the time stick his foot in his mouth and get in trouble doing things he, he, he didn't need to do. I'll never deny you. I don't care what the rest of them do. Deny him three times that night. He's a little movable son. But Jesus changed him. And we'll see how much he changed him here in just a moment. See, Andrew saw the value of one person. Andrew went to that one person and he told him about Jesus and he did more than just tell him. He brought him to Jesus. God's part of winning your one is more than you just kind of letting them know you're a Christian. It's more than you just saying, well, I go to church on Sunday. It's more than even you just sharing the gospel with them sometimes. Sometimes you need to bring them. Sometimes you need to go and pick them up and bring them to church or take them out to eat or whatever you need to do to get a one-on-one conversation with them and share your faith with that individual. So he brings him to Jesus. Told you a moment ago there. Andrew and Peter were both fishermen, kind of a man's man type job. I told you a moment ago about Andrew's name meaning manly. So guys, listen up. I want to run it by you one more time. Listen up on this Father's Day. It is a manly thing to tell somebody else about Jesus. 
It is a manly thing. Don't shy away from it. Don't act like it's something weird. If you know Christ is your Savior and you know you've been called to fulfill the Great Commission, you know that if you're a Christian. That's what the Bible tells you. It is a manly thing for you to man up and for you to tell other people about Jesus. Andrew might have been a work-in-the-background kind of guy. That's who he was. Can, Can I tell you something? That's okay. You don't have to be Billy Graham standing preaching to thousands and thousands. A lot of men in church think, well, I, I really, I don't think I'd be comfortable up here, you know, and we might not let you up here. You may sing terrible, you know. All right. That's why I get up here like this. I couldn't sing, you know. Or you don't have to get up and do what I'm doing. But God does expect you to serve him. And you realize as a behind-the-scenes guy, you can still make a huge impact for the kingdom of God? Andrew does. Andrew wins Peter. He brings Peter to Jesus. And he made a huge difference in the kingdom of God, even though he was a behind-the-scenes guy, not mentioned much in Scripture. Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. I want to stop and reflect upon that for a minute. The guy that preached Pentecost sermon, that guy. The guy that wrote two books of the New Testament, first and second Peter, that guy. The guy in those books was writing to persecuted believers in Asia Minor, and he encouraged them, don't worry about the world around you. Don't worry about how they might treat you. You're a stranger and you're a pilgrim. You're a stranger and you're a sojourner. You're just passing through this world. Guys, that's true of us. If you're a believer, you're a stranger and you're a sojourner. This world isn't your home. Quit worrying about what the world does to you. You've got a better home in heaven one day. That's what Peter was telling those persecuted Christians. Look higher than what you're going through. Understand where you'll be one day and quit worrying about how the world might treat you for serving Jesus. That's what Peter did. Peter's the guy when he was about to be executed and they told him they were going to crucify him. The Bible doesn't tell us this. It's a tradition. Tradition tells us they told Peter they are going to crucify him and Peter responded that I don't feel worthy to die in the same way as my Savior. And they crucified him upside down. That guy, that's who Andrew brought to Jesus. That one person that he brought to Jesus. Will you think with me just for a minute? Now, I understand God's sovereign. Don't someone get all doctrinal with me, doctrinal with me and everything. I understand God's a sovereign God. I understand God uh, has things like election that we can't even fully understand. And I think God's got the bases covered somehow, you know. But just imagine for a minute what might have happened if Andrew had not led Peter to Jesus. Who would have preached on Pentecost? Will there be two books in the New Testament missing? God only knows what changes might have occurred without Andrew leading Peter to Christ.
Andrew appreciated the value of a single person, a single soul. He was known for bringing individuals, not crowds, to Jesus. Almost every time we see him in the gospel accounts, he's bringing someone to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. He he brought the boy that had the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. And, and, And you had a picture of of uh, Philip there saying, well, you know, what can we do with all this crowd? And he said, we've only got this boy here. Andrew grabs him and he takes him to Jesus. I, I don't think Andrew was being lack of faith. I think Andrew is thinking, hmm, I've seen Jesus do some stuff. So I'm going to take this little boy that only has five loaves and two fish and I'm going to bring him to Jesus and let's see what Jesus does. Which, by the way, gives us another lesson that we ought to think about just for a minute here. And that is there's no such thing as an insignificant gift when it comes to God. You might think you've got small, insignificant gifts. Put them in the hands of Jesus and see what he does with them. You may think you can't give too much of an offering when it comes to tithing and things like that. Put it in the hands of Jesus and see what he does with it. Jesus took and multiplied and fed that whole crowd there. And I think Andrew probably approached him by faith and he brought this little boy to him. Andrew also later in John 12, verse 20 through 22, he's seen bringing some Greeks to Jesus. They came and they said, you know, sirs, we want to see Jesus. So it wasn't just an individual, but it was just a few. And Andrew brings them to Jesus. Some Bible scholars call Andrew the first home missionary because he led Jewish people to Jesus. But they also call him the first foreign missionary Because he brought those Greeks to Jesus. And all I'm trying to get you to see is the practice that Andrew had. Is the practice that we need to have in our lives. Whatever degree of giftedness or or influence you have. You need to give that to Jesus. And and try and win your one to Jesus. See most people, I, I told you that two weeks ago. Most people don't come to Jesus through a big setting like this. Or they don't even come to church. Because you know, just a, of a big setting and, and the church were there and we saw an ad, you know, on, on the pole or something like that, you know, on the side of the road. We saw a billboard. That's why we came. No, 96%, 96% of people will come to church because a friend invited them. Because it was someone being like Andrew. The majority of the people don't come to Christ because of a setting like this. It's because of the influence of one individual. Andrew touched Peter's life and reached Peter. And then Peter reached thousands for Jesus. So are you living a purposeful life? Who's who's your one? Are you doing something trying to impact them? I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you may have heard about it before, so don't call out the end of it. <laughs> then maybe it'll give you a picture of how important it is for us to reach our one. How many have ever heard of a Sunday school teacher who lived in Boston by the name of Edward Kimball? You ever heard of Edward Kimball, anybody? It may come to mind in a minute as I tell more of the story. Like I said, he was a Sunday school teacher years ago in Boston. It had this 18-year-old young man show up in his Sunday school class. And he decided that he was going to go see that 18-year-old man and try and share with him about Jesus. 
So he's on the way to go talk to this 18-year-old man that he knew was kind of brash and harsh and maybe a little bit illiterate. And this Sunday school teacher was really quiet and soft-spoken and and humble. And he's worried all the way to go see this 18-year-old. He's walking to go see him at Halston's shoe store. And on the way there, he starts second-guessing. Well, maybe I shouldn't go in where he works at because maybe the other shoe clerks will make fun of him. And say, is that Sunday school teacher trying to turn you into a good boy or something? And he he said, I had all this worry in my mind. He said, I was almost shaking in my boots and everything about going because the way I knew the young man was. And he said, I even walked by the store to start with without even knowing it because I was so worried about everything. And then I decided I, I'm going to go in and try it. And he just goes in and he re- goes in the store real quick and he, and he goes to find this young man. And the young man was back in the stock room and they let him back in the stock room and he starts tell him he couldn't even remember all of his words. He said, I just talked to him about Jesus and Jesus' love for him and the fact that he died on his cross. He said, I can't really remember what he, what all I said. He said, that young man right there in that stock room gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. You ever heard of Dwight L. Moody? Dwight L. Moody was that 18-year-old young man. Dwight L. Moody later on led a man to Christ by the name of C.T. Studd, who was a, a, an early pioneer as being a missionary. Dwight L. Moody was also preaching a crusade somewhere in an evangelistic meeting, and there's a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman came to faith in Jesus. J. Wilbur Chapman became an evangelist of his own merit, preaching to to thousands himself. J. Wilbur Chapman was leading a crusade somewhere as a guy by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a rough professional baseball player. After he came to Christ, he became an evangelist himself. He was known for running down the aisle in his meetings and sliding into the altar and screaming out, safe for Jesus. He's pretty flamboyant. <laughs> a lady went up to him one time and said, Billy, you rubbed the cat the wrong way, the fur the wrong way. And he said, no, you just need to turn the cat around. The cat's going the wrong direction. I'm rubbing the right way. <laughs> Billy Sunday became an evangelist a great evangelist, and he was preaching an evangelistic meeting and a guy by the name of Mordecai Helm. Came to faith in Jesus. Mordecai Helm became an evangelist. And he was holding a series of meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a young man by the name of Billy Graham You ever heard of him? Came to faith in Jesus. You ever heard of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago? Trained thousands and thousands of ministers and missionaries. The point of me telling that story is that you need to win your one because you never know what will happen. 
You never know who your one will become or who your one might influence. Maybe the one that you lead to Christ in your little purpose like Andrew, kind of working behind the scenes, just you know, not well known and trying to tell other people about Jesus behind the scenes. Maybe God will take that and use your faithfulness to tell somebody else about Jesus in ways you can never understand. I'm asking you this morning, our men especially, will you live a purposeful life? Will you see the, the value of individual people? But that question is for all of us, not just for the men. Tradition tells us this, not the Bible, but once again, tradition tells us that Andrew took the gospel north. Some think he made it as far as North Russia. Some think he made it into Scotland. George wearing a Scotland t-shirt. I told him to stand up and do this with it today because that's where he's from. Some think that Andrew made it into Scotland to share the gospel. Tradition also tells us that he was executed in Greece, near Athens, Greece. One of the stories as to why he was executed is that he won the wife of a Roman governor to Christ. And the Roman governor became so upset and so infuriated, he demanded that his wife recount her faith in Jesus, and she refused. So that Roman governor had Andrew crucified. They put a cross up in the shape of an X. They didn't nail hand, they didn't drive nails through his hands. Instead, they tied him, they lashed him to the cross to where he would suffer longer. And he hung there for days before he died. And there are witness accounts that while he was lashed to that cross for days, any passerby that came by, he would tell them about Jesus. I think Andrew lived a purposeful life. Will you do the same? Will you live a purposeful life by understanding the value of knowing who Jesus is and the value of trusting who Jesus is? If you've never trusted him, will you live a purposeful life this morning by trusting who Jesus is? Will you live a purposeful life by following Jesus wherever it leads you? Quit worrying about our culture. Quit worrying about the, the, the world around you. Men don't think it's an unmanly thing. It's a very manly thing for you to do for Jesus. And will you value one person? Will you value individual persons and do what you can to lead them to Jesus? You may lead, or they may lead, the person that you lead, may lead the next Dwight L. Moody to Jesus. May lead the next Billy Graham to Jesus. There's too much potential for us to fail to live a purposeful life and share the gospel with others. Let's pray. Father, God, once again, I want to pray for the men to begin with. Help us to be the men that you want us to be. Help us to be your men, your man, unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of what you've done in our lives. 
unashamed to share our story in the message of Jesus with others. Father, but I pray for each person here, whether it's a man, woman, teenager, child. Father, I pray that all of us will ask ourselves if we're living a purposeful life. If we're living a life of purpose by your standards. If we're doing what you've called us to do. If we're willing to value individual people. Tell them about Jesus and bring them to Jesus. God, speak to us right now. Make us transparent before you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.